Whenever I, I work for a house, I'm not trying to apply a template. You don't bring a formula from one place to another one. What is interesting is that every house has its own psychology, its own way of processing fashion. And I think it would be too easy to just bring a template and apply it to with your, all your tricks. I, I'm much more, like I was telling you earlier, I have an empathy, so I like to really understand what is the true core of the house and how can I translate it into silhouettes and colors and, and materials. I am Susie Menkes, and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. As a journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders, and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. This week, my guest is the Hermes Creative Director, Nadej Vanhib Sibulski. Hermes has a deep history, founded on horse saddles, but now famous for its neckties, handbags, and increasingly for its discreetly elegant clothes. It is not just a mighty and classic brand. It's also a family business of six generations. Co-chairs of Hermes today are two cousins, CEO Axel Dumas and Pierre-Alexis Dumas, Vice President, artistic director and son of Jean-Louis Dumas, who revolutionized Hermès and grew it as an international luxury company. The current designer has become part of the family, Nadej Vanhi Subulski, whose name reflects the variety of her background, is going to talk to me about how she is developing the brand as quiet luxury. Call her a purist or a gentle spirit, the designer's aim is to move the brand forward with imagination and intelligence. The artisanal roots have run deep in the House of Hermes since 1837, with over 20 artisan crafts workers now producing, as well as ready-to-wear, fine jewellery, lipstick, furniture, perfume and watches, and, of course, those famous handbags. The Hermes artisans also work on Petite H, a concept which takes remnants out of the atelier from silk to porcelain and transforms it into a brand new object. Nadej started her career in Belgium, where she studied at the Antwerp Royal Academy of Fine Arts and went on to work with Martin Margiela, who himself was a creative director at Hermès in the 1990s. An art lover with a passion for her husband's Paris gallery, Nadej has translated her complex background and her belief in fashion simplicity into Hermès collections that are modern, millennial and a class act. Let's hear Nadej talk about her timeless and witty design and approach to colour and form. Now, Nadej, you are designer director at Hermes, and it's such a famous but graceful house. Is it a dream for you? I wonder whether you're driven by the elements of simplicity and purest workmanship. The company does seem to be unique in that it is relaxed, quiet luxury, something you don't normally find together. So uh, I, I really like that you 
stress on the fact that it could be a dream to work at the House of Hermès because I've always had a specific attraction to the house. I never really projected to work for the house or with the house, but I always remember the, the quote of Marlon Brando in The Godfather when he was at a moment, there is a certain moment where he says, I'm going to make an offer that he can't refuse. And I think when Hermès came and asked, you know, for um, an eventual collaboration, I, I was very spontaneously say yes. I didn't even think twice. It was really, you know, something I could not refuse because the idea of Hermès is about, you know, it's the essence of chic, of this uh, extreme refinement. Um, it's something that it belongs to somehow the French heritage because it has been following the history of uh, the modern history of France. So uh, for me, it was really, uh, I had a huge excitement joining, joining the house. What exactly is your role at Hermès? I have your title, which is head of ready-to-wear. But what do you embrace in a noisy fashion world? Is it about bringing together form and function with your gentle approach to design? Do you put yourself first or the company first? Well, what is my job first? What is my job within the house of Hermes? Well, I am uh, the creative director of the Women's Ready-to-Wear. And my, my mission is to really assert the legitimacy of the ready-to-wear within the house, because the heritage is really coming from the saddle making. So how can I make coexist the saddle leather working with the couture work or the art of tailoring? And it's also, the job is also to really awake uh, people's perception, the general perception that, you know, Hermes ready-to-wear is also a relevant brand in terms of fashion. And that comes to the other question. When you talking about the noisy world of fashion, I'm always trying to see fashion in the positive angle. I love fashion. What I love about fashion is that it's a really a place where people can realize themselves. And I've met a lot of people who are so committed. And that's where I kind of make it meet with the House of Hermes. Because I, I also see that same commitment towards work and the pride of working for a house which puts the, the human at the center of this, uh, this brand. So, and I also like the quirkiness of fashion and I think I see that also in the house so you know it's just to probably challenge a little bit the perception the common perception and really bring more this uh, this to this uh, to an element um, then do I put myself first Oof. well you know when you work for a house which has such a strong heritage, you are not asked to come and jazz up everything or reinvent everything, right? It's a house which has a strong DNA. And um, I have an approach which is more personal. Um, I, I love the fact that within the house, you've got such a plural expression of creativity and that my territory is the, the fashion, the ready-to-wear. I do things with a lot of instincts, Susie. So... I feel really good within the house. It's very natural, and I also like to experiment with a certain perception of the house. 
I want to leave the house for one moment to talk about your own background. You consider yourself as half Flemish. You were born and raised in Lille in northern France. Your father is French Christian and your mother Algerian Muslim. I'm not asking for you at all for a personal conversation about this, but how do you feel that these very different backgrounds have enlarged your vision and your work at Hermès? Um, it's actually, I don't have a problem with talking about my origin. I think it's a great asset to have come from so almost polar cultures. And, for, and, and furthermore, you know, there is a very you know, the story between France and Algeria is not really a happy history. You know, there is a lot of background. Uh, you know, the, the war of independence was very, very painful. And I think we're still trying to explain it and recontextualize it. But so I'm saying this because, you know, when I was younger, I had a big pride of coming from two different worlds. And at the same time, I was like, but where am I belonging to? So from a very young age, I understood that the world was actually bigger than my little, you know, house and my garden. And um, it has really brought me a lot of empathy. I don't need to understand everybody's culture, but I can understand that some people see the way differently. Um, it has also brought me a lot of um, curiosity because you can also understand that you know, a symbolism in the Christian culture is different from a Muslim culture. I just love this ice and fire kind of, you know, terroir. It was also, you know, a territory for eva evasion, evasion, like in French. You know, you could basically think about an exotic place where my, from where my mother is coming from, but also the exotic side of France, because I didn't really grasp France also, since my mother was Algerian. I grew up with a lot of Algerian, uh, you know, uh, tricks and, and culture. For me, you came into the forefront of fashion when you were working for The Row in New York. It's such a quiet and elegant brand, which is owned by the Olsen twins, and you seem quite a good fit there. But you've had other backgrounds too. You worked with Belgian designer Martin Margiela from 2005 to 2008, and there's a connection there because Martin Margiela himself was the creative director of Hermès between 1997 and 2003. You also worked under Phoebe Philo at Céline. Looking back now, what do you think you learned from these different brands, and how did you bring it all to Hermès? Uh, you know, whenever I, I work for a house, I'm not trying to apply a template. You don't bring a formula from one place to another one. What I see with all the work, the different collaboration I had with Martin and Phoebe and Marquette and Ashley and now the house of Hermes is there's definitely a, a converge, convergence toward um, an understated sophistication or an understated elegance. But it's for me, the job is, in, what is interesting is that Every house has its own psychology, its own way of processing fashion. And I think it would be too, you know, too easy to just, yeah, bring a template and apply it to with your audio tricks. I, I'm much more, like I was telling you earlier, I have an empathy, so I like to really understand what is a true true core of the house and how can I translate it into 
silhouettes and colors and, and materials. Um, and furthermore, you know, the house is very mature in terms of identity. You know, there is sixth generation. There is so many great people who, who contributed to this extremely vast pot of, of objects, of stories. So, um, yes, it's, it's very, uh, I don't know how to finish my phrase, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, I came, uh, I came with a really big open mind, which is not well, easy when you're a French woman, because you have, you know, you can have a certain idea of Hermès. The fact that I've been traveling through Belgium, London, New York, I, I came up with a, a, a broader mind. interesting to me that your fashion journey started at Antwerp's famous school, the Royal Academy for Fine Art. I say famous because the Antwerp Six, including designers like Martin Margiela and Dries van Noten, put the fashion department on the map under the leadership of Linda Lopper. What did the Academy unlock for you and what was it you thought you would find in France? Is there definitely a Belgian side and have you got it? The, the years at the Academy were fantastic. It was exactly... I didn't know what I was looking for, but I totally embraced it. The approach is very fine art. You know, you approach fashion through live drawing, draping. Um, your peers are sculptors, painters. So you really have an approach which is very creative. So it has really unlocked me my personal creative identity. You know, I was asked to, you know, you work on different subjects, uh, which is about a certain modernity and radicality. And, you know, it was probably hard for me because people always hear me as a soft-spoken person. So for me, I learned a lot, you know, along with, uh, with uh, Linda Lopa and Walter. And of course, when I came to the academy, I looked at the work of Yugi Persoons, of Martin Margiela, of course, and the Master too, but there was really this radical fashion that I loved. And I expected to have, you know, it's true, a sort of recipe of the Belgian side, but there is not really, I think the recipe is really to exalt the singularity of your personal story. And that's what Linda's has done with Walter. You know, they were really pushing you to say, what is in your guts? What do you want to say? So they were really stimulating your uh, personal, individual story. There are always these discussions about whether fashion is art. I know that art itself is one of your passions. Your British husband owns the gallery PCP in the Marais district in Paris. I believe you met while working for Céline in London. I must admit that I don't know much about his vision or the gallery, but do you feel he has influenced your work, maybe with colours, tones and form, and that's why your clothes seem so sophisticated, because there is an element of art within them? My relationship with art and fashion is really coming from my education. I really started to have this awareness at the, at the Academy of Antwerp. So when I met Peter... You know, I I was attracted to uh, this art world, and it's great to be, you know, the to have a partner or a husband who actually has uh, this project. I think Peter has um, a great 
it's a quite bold to do what he's doing in Paris because he really incubates um, interesting show that then becomes bigger show like you know he, he did a show about the mushrooms and the power of the mushroom then end up in the Somerset House or you know he's really interested in this let's say underground culture so I, I have thanks to him great access to uh, artist workshop and you know I can really keep this young Nadej in me and I felt a bit like this again this fashion student when I was in Antwerp so yes it's it's quite important this with relationship with art then when it comes to question about the how does it, has it influenced my work you know it's really difficult to say I'm I am a sponge you know I absorb different things I think it's part of every Every creative person, I think, have this ability of of metabolizing what's around her or him and just then translate it into something quite special. Does being a mother automatically change the attitude of a female designer? I shouldn't really put it like that because it sounds a bit old-fashioned, but I want to know if you found that you have a different approach, especially now due to the current virus and while you are designing at home with the family around you. Do you think it's different from how things were, say, two years ago? Well, the situation is actually quite challenging and unprecedented. We are asked to to isolate ourselves and to really break up, you know, a, a, the good thing of our normal routine. So this, uh, the lockdown, as there's not a lot of people who are really happy about being contrived to be at home. So the, the, this enfermement, this lockdown, this close is actually, can create a lot of anxiety, but I try to take it as a force. Uh, a force where I could basically, for a moment, slow down and really assess again what is really important for me and what is you know important for my for my team and what is important also for my work what is it that I really want to leave you know because the I'm, I'm you know designing clothes is some it's like writing a book it belongs to you but then after it becomes another story and then it stays in somebody's wardrobe and then it can being to somebody else, you know, there's a whole transmission and a whole life. So um, I took a long time to reflect about this fact that, yes, not only I was a mother, but more than the mother for me, the fact that I had to really reinvent a way of being creative because I would be alone sketching, but how do I transmit this tactility, this, this sensuality through a screen, but you know, Susie, we've been quite audacious and there's a lot of things, a lot of good things have come out of this lockdown. We approach fashion, we approach our process, creative process with collage instead of draping, for instance. We were like, okay, so we can't just, because you have to imagine that there is a lot of people who live in a small studio. They don't have their whole atelier with them. So we had to 
do with what we had is a, was a bit like a sort of Robinson Crusoe situation where you just take what you have around you and be creative. creative. Now let's talk about the fabric. We were like, oh, factories are closed. You know, there's so many delays between what they have to deliver for the production and the development and this whole industry. So I was like, okay, you know what? We're going to look at what we've done for the last five years and really pick up the best fabric and fab what is best fabric for their performances, but also for the emotion that they gave. And uh, I can also cite you the example of the scrapbook. You know, when we did the fashion show in September, we were like, how can we convey the whole spirit of the collection where people will be, you know, quite unhappy in their living room, looking at a fashion show on what's best, maybe a TV or what's more, uh, you know, um, a telephone screen and the whole idea of the book and the collective collaboration with artists was very productive. So I, I, I really, um, I'm really trying to see it in a positive angle, you know. Surely it fits very well into Hermes as a company, because although it is classic, as we know, there are always elements of soft wit and of fun. I'm thinking of the Hermes lipstick pop-up case, or those witty patterns on the famous silk scarves, and the men's neckties. I know these things are not something that you might necessarily be involved in, but it is part of the whole aura of Hermes, and of its values, quality, excellence, family spirit, and a passion for craftsmanship. And I can see all that in what you produce. Do you feel the wit and wisdom of Hermes? And can you yourself define the formula? Personally, I see it on your invites, your invitations, shop windows, events, shows, and that's not even to mention your collections. It's always done with such exquisite taste. There's something light-hearted at the base of it. Do you think that's a fair judgment from me? It's an excellent, accurate judgment. I think you you understand really the deep... Uh, nature of the House of Hermes. I've always, I always like to do a, to take a bit of a Freudian approach when it comes to Hermes, and I always talk about the inconscious and the consciousness of Hermes. That, you know, the consciousness of Hermes is, of course, the, the saddle maker heritage, the technique, the herpes expertise, the idea of um, this rational knowledge that they can transform, you know, uh, a natural state into a, a, a cultural sophisticated state. But there is also the unconscious side of Hermes, which is really translated with the silk world. You know, the fact that you in different uh, sensibilities are represented and create this whole universe where you can juggle with the colors and with the dream, with the fantasy. And um, yes, the house is very uh, prolix. The house is very proteiform. You know, of course, there is something quite coherent. But within this currency, you have a lot of lightness, uh, a lot of uh, wit. Yes, yeah. You know, Nadege, I am a total failure. I've been talking to you for about 20 minutes and I have not mentioned a word about the iconic Hermes handbags. I mean, in some ways, they are the biggest part of the brand and the thing that people think about most. Why do you think the company has been so successful with leather accessories? Is it because it was all founded with the leather saddles? Is that the reason? Well, first of all, that's already a little victory for me if we've been talking for 25 minutes just for fashion of fashion of Hermes. So it means that something is good. 
when it comes to the core of your question, um, it's definitely the heritage of the house, the saddle, uh, the saddle making. So I think it's a natural process that, um, I think it's because it's definitely genuine. It's genuine. You know, you know that a, a leather accessoire, sorry, is in Hermes, is done with an exquisite technique. But I think behind this exquisite technique, there is really the genuine in gesture of a man who knows his leather, knows the function, who has really impregnated, like has, again, like a sponge. He really took this whole heritage in him. You know, we always say in our mess, we give what we get. It's this idea of transmission. And I think that's really important. To, to talk about this. And also, you know, the thing is that the success of the Alex, the, the bags, the success of the Kelly or the Birkin, they are not forced success. They were not intentional. I think the first intention was really to create an object who has his true, um, a true meaning, a, a beautiful uh, features, and also a good function. When you think about the Birkin bag, for instance, it was not created, you know, it was created from a happy encountering. It was Jean-Louis Dumas who met um, Jane Birkin in a plane and they had a very natural conversation and she asked, you know, I want a bag that relates to me. I am a young mother and I can't find a toad that functioned for me. And this had triggered something in Jean-Louis Dumas and then later, then it becomes a success. The house is not looking for in bags. They really come by themselves. It's interesting also that your attitude, or Hermes' attitude, to the leather and hides is something that was very important to you from the start, not just from you personally, but for the whole company. The idea of using leather with minimal waste and salvaging odds and ends to turn them into something of value. Do you work like that with your artisans? Is it very much the spirit of Hermes, of no wastage, really thinking about the need to be careful and strong about how things are done in leather, making every garment, every belt, every piece worthwhile. Yes, uh, the, the matrix here is really the respect. You know, it's a respect of um, the work of someone and the material and not really having this inconsequent action. I think there is a lot of responsibility in the way we work and the way we develop the, the product. So this value, I have it with me. And when I design, I also want to have, of course, a, a, a purposeful close, but I also want to know that that style is well balanced in terms of you know, it's the right amount of fabric. We, we, we basically tailored it with um, a strong, yes, a, a, a deep commitment. Nadej, I think you told me once that your famously beautiful orange cardboard boxes are actually made from 100% 
recycled materials. Can that be true? Yes, yes. And, you know, it's also a very beautiful story, the story of orange, because um, the orange boxes were actually white boxes before, uh, you know, and with the Second World War, the white paper was not approachable, was not, you know, available. So Hermès went to option B, which was orange. <laughs> but beyond this, I, I, what I see is, uh, again, a lot of wheat and a lot of audacity and also a strong, you know, message of resilience. Like we don't, they don't give up. And, and then this orange became a whole part of the identity of the house. It seems that there are quite a few new projects, and one of them is in my own country, in the department store, Harrods. Tell me about it. Yes, it's quite exciting uh, for uh, the ready-to-wear métier because we are going to have the biggest superficie of ready-to-wear in the UK is going to be in Harrods. So um, there is, uh, of course, there's going to be also a bit of accessoire, but it's going to be let's say, the biggest uh, territoire of the woman universe in terms of fashion and accessoires. And you know how much London is special to me. Uh, I married a British husband. Uh, I did my sentimental and creative education in London, so uh, it has a great resonance for me. And also, I, I think it's also an optimist message to be able to open a shop today in such difficult circumstances. And I'm really excited that the whole team in the UK managed to join their forces and create a beautiful space. And, um, you know, Harrods is also a great uh, symbol in, in the UK. You know, I mean, it's a bit a part of the postcard of London, so I think it's a great destination. Well, London is certainly a wonderful city to gallop through at this moment and give people a sense of joy and a sense of something original. So bravo for that. There seems to be now quite a variety of things for the future. Ongoing is the new lipstick line and the opening of the huge flagship on New York's 706 Madison Avenue. Is it a reopening or a different building? Yes, it's, uh, it's, I think they're moving in a different building, a bigger building. There's one question before we go which I have to ask you. It's about the Queen of England. She is never seen riding her horse without an MS scarf wrapped round her head. I know you are much too discreet to talk about your very famous client, but will you just answer one question? Is Her Majesty still choosing new scarves, or are they old favourites that just keep that pristine brand look? Well, you know, it's um, a, a great privilege to have um, the Queen of England as a client, especially because she's quite committed with the equestrian world. I think it's a strong passion, so it's really coming from, a, again, a, a genuine side. So I think this is what we take a big pride in, in this. And um, yes, I mean, I, I, I won't say, again, because I really respect people's uh, life, you know, which scarf she's taking, but three years ago, four years ago, in 2016, we created for her a special uh, edition for Jubilee. I know you're not going to tell me any more about it because you are much too discreet, but I shall go and look at all the pictures of the Queen of England and see if I can find them very one. Thank you so much, Nadej, for talking to me at such length. It's been a joy talking to someone so intelligent and culturally aware. A great pleasure for me to listen to you. When I'm back in Paris, maybe we can have a coffee together, side by side. I would love it. I would love it to finally take the time to have a, 
Thank you, Nadej. What a graceful story about the name and the brain behind Hermes Designs today. Nadej Van Hee Sibutsky's interpretation of the historic brand combines quiet elegance with sharp modernity, something that the six generations of the family, now led jointly by cousins Alex Dumas and Pierre-Alexis Dumas, hold dear. We loved hearing about Nadej's grasp of Hermes, what it stands for, and how its horsey history has always galloped ahead in fashion. It makes Nadej an exceptional designer for a famous brand. The company, known for their warm orange color, which is not listed with Pantone, maintains a responsible ethos to the planet, ensuring traceability, certification protecting, and preservation. Which brings me to my next podcast. I hope you will join me next time for my conversation with Ursula de Castro, the founder and creative director of Fashion Revolution, the campaign she co-founded after the Bangladesh Rana Plaza factory disaster in 2013. The pioneer and internationally recognized opinion leader in sustainable fashion will be talking to me about her new book, Loved Clothes Last, published by Penguin Life. How the joy of re-wearing and re-pairing your clothes can be a revolutionary act. Creative Conversations with Susie Menkes is produced by Natasha Cowan, music by Jörg Zuber, graphics by Paul Wallace, and edited by Tim Thornton. To find my articles, visit susiemenkes.com and susiemenkes on Instagram. If you've enjoyed the podcast, then please do rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends. You can find me on all the usual channels. Music